Thanks be to God. And thank you, Rune, for reading our long scripture passage today. It's so great to be with you on this second of our Sunday baptismal celebration worship services. Wonderful. Thank you all for visiting with us today, friends and families of our candidates. Uh, especially want to say hello to Easton and Mia and Brenna and uh, look forward to hearing your testimonies and seeing you show us what it means to be a Christian. Today we will celebrate uh, their decision to trust Jesus as their Lord for the rest of their life. And what they're going to show us is they're going to be coming down the steps behind these curtains on our left, and they're going to be dying to the old way. And when they go underwater, that's the image, the picture of the end of it, death. And then as they come up out of the water, they're going to be showing us that they're not just floating there, they're walking out to a new walk, a new way of life. Isn't it beautiful that that's what God has given, this ancient sacrament? And for some of you, I don't know, if you're new to Christianity, it might sound kind of odd or weird, like, why are you getting all wet and all this? But if I said, uh, you want to celebrate Thanksgiving without turkey? or Christmas without a tree and lights and gifts, right? I mean, that would be rather bland. Just do it all in your mind? No, the God who created us as embodied beings has invited us to use things to reinforce spiritual truths. So that's what we're going to do today. And that's actually what we've been looking at in the letter to Ephesians. This is a church in Ephesus written 2,000 years ago, but with a timeless message for our church today. Now, what we've seen in the last few weeks since we started looking at this is that the first through the third chapters of this letter talk about essentially one thing, God's affirmation of his people. For instance, he has said, we are chosen predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, sealed, loved, made alive, and reconciled. We essentially are passive. God is the active one. If I could personalize it, these first three chapters have talked about who I am in Christ. Then, as we began last week, Pastor Jin started in chapter four, four, five, and six, the rest of the letter, put us in the active mode, so to speak. It's not so much our identity, but our activity, our responsibility. So last week, Pastor Jin reminded us in chapter four that Paul said, we should live worthy of being in Christ. We should be humble. We should endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If I could summarize these two emphases, the first one would say, I am my identity. The second part is, 
I must, my obedience, my responsibility. And that's really what our baptismal candidates are saying today too. They have a new identity in Christ and that means the rest of their lives will look much different than they did before. So, today we get to look at Ephesians chapter four as we continue down through chapter five, uh, beginning in verse 17, down through chapter five, verse two. And I'm gonna break it up in three parts here. First, in 17 through 19, Paul talked about the Gentiles or the unbelievers who have their minds set on themselves. He's trying to say, this is who we were. Our pre-Christian lives were dominated by selfishness, self-centeredness, ungodliness. And it starts, the way Paul says, in the way we think. Not so much actions, they flow from what we think, but our minds were corrupted. That's kind of our default. We all were there. Maybe some of you are still there. I don't know if you've come to follow Jesus yet, but if you think about it, if there's no God in your perspective, somebody's got to be in charge of your life, and so probably you would default to yourself. I mean, I think that's right, isn't it? Yes. I like it. Do you agree? Yes. Well, what are you doing? I'm talking to myself. Why? Because I'm always right. I always want to do what makes sense to me. That's the default. When kids are born, you have to train them not to think self-centeredly, to get along with their brothers or sisters or to do what's right. So Paul says, no, this kind of self-indulgent thinking lives to self-indulgent living. He uses three words in verse 19. He says, sensuality, impurity, and greed. Every one of those turns life into self-centeredness. Isn't that what sin is? It takes something good like I want to get things for my need and turns it into I want to get everything just for me. You see, a little later, Paul is going to say, that's not what Christians do. We don't steal, but instead we work so that we can give to other people. See how the arrow goes from inside us, outside. So Paul says, no, I insist that you don't live this way anymore. And when our brothers and sisters are getting baptized, like they did in our first service and in this service, or any time it happens, we kind of put a stake in the ground, we nail it in, and we say, from here on out, I'm not going back to that old way of life. I am dead to that. I'm done with self-centered living. And I'll tell you what, that is against the culture that we have today, where everything is designed to attract you, to buy it, to want it, to think it, because you are the king of your own identity. 
Second thing Paul says in verses 20 through 24 is that now that we are believers in Jesus, our lives should be marked by holiness. Let me read again, 20 through 24. That, however, that old way of life, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, now he's gonna mention three things. Number one, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Number two, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And number three, verse 24, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's what Paul says. He's, he's really in our face here. He says, when you start to live your Christian life, don't coast, lean in. And lean in in three ways. First, that old life that you put that stake in that you said you're dead to, well, guess what? It's still hanging on. You've got to say no to it. You've got to, and the word he uses here is put off. In the Greek language in which it was originally written, it, that word was usually used for clothing. You know, like this morning I put on my shirt and the rest of my clothes and Later, I'll take it off. It's a common word, but it's a descriptive word. Paul wants us to look at our old life as something that just, could I say, doesn't fit anymore. Now, have you ever, I don't know, cleaned out a closet or you look and say, oh, I haven't worn that in so long, and you put it on, and maybe you have either uh, grown if you're a kid or not, or maybe you've lost some weight or you're smaller and you say, this is too baggy or this is too tight. It doesn't fit anymore. That's the way Paul wants us to look at our old life. That's not who we are. We are created differently, not to wear that kind of outfit anymore. That means that Christians always, always should live lives of repentance. Now you say, well, hold it. I, th I thought when you believe in Jesus, you turn, you repent from your sin, and you follow Jesus. Yeah, that's true. And what is the mark of conversion is the mark of the rest of your life as well. We are continually repenting. Why? Because we continually have to battle the flesh that sinful nature that pulls us back. And Paul says, put it off. As often as you need to change clothes, do it. Secondly, he says, we must be made new in the attitude of our minds. Now this is uh, interestingly worded here because it's a, it's a passive thing but it still has an active connotation to it. See, it doesn't say make yourself new, it says be made new. 
Well, how do, how do you, what does that mean? Now, here's the beautiful mystery in Scripture of the means of God's grace to change us to be more like God. Here's an example. So, one way you may know, if you don't, here it is, the best way to get close to God is to read his word, to read it over and over again, to meditate on it, to memorize it, to unpack it. Because as you listen to the God-breathed words, that's God speaking to you. And as you intently listen, something happens. It's mysterious, I can't explain it, but we subtly, quietly, by little degree and little degree, are transformed. And uh, you may know how, <clears throat> excuse me, how butterflies become butterflies, right? Because the caterpillar spins this cocoon and out comes a butterfly. And scientists call that process metamorphosis, right? That big Greek word, which is the word that's used in the New Testament to describe the inner transformation that comes about when we pursue God and God transforms us in the middle of that. And whether that means talking with other believers about scripture, praying, somehow engaging God, that's what we must do. It starts here. You must renew your mind as a Christian. Always, always, because that old life is continuing inside you and in our culture. It's continuing to batter you with temptations and influence and seductions. And God says, you've got to be renewed, which means you must have a life of every day renewing your mind. And third, he says, and here's the word again, you must put on your new self. So you take off, but you replace it. And if I could keep my clothing, clothing analogy, the clothes that God gives us to wear are a little too big for us. But that's because we're going to grow into them. And what clothes are we talking about here? We're talking about what he calls righteousness and holiness. Because we are created, we are new creations in Christ, then we, we need to start wearing a new outfit every day, every opportunity. That means that we must continually look like God. Wow, do we need that in our culture today? There is so much around us that is so individualistic, and how do you want to describe it? I don't know but it's not godly, it's not attractive, it's not beautiful, it's not wholesome, it's not holy. So three things Paul says, put it off, be renewed, put it on. And those are commands. And I, I've got to pause for a moment here and say, I think some of you that are listening to me this morning are 
maybe you're grating a little bit, like, ugh, come on. I really liked Ephesians 1 through 3, where Paul just dishes out all that God has done. You know, I like to sit in my chair and just ah, be soothed by all that I am. I am, yes, praise God, I'm secure, I'm loved, I'm blessed. And now you're telling me, hey, come on, get a move on here. Are we reading the same Bible? I think there are some, sometimes we get so used to hearing our, God's affirmations of us that we think, well, that's, that's enough. Everything's okay. And everything's just going to kind of flow from that. Well, then I would say, then why? <laughs> why, like I said when I started, is the letter of Ephesians have half of the book telling us, no, you need to do something. Some of you may say, well, that sounds like legalism. So let me just take a moment and say, no, that's not legalism. And it's not wrong. It's not reading the Bible improperly to say you must as well as you are. And why? Because commands in Scripture direct us into the way in which we will flourish as new creations in Christ. It's another way of saying that sin pulls us away from who we should be. Sin pulls us away from God. Sin destroys the image of God in us. It's not only anti-God, it's anti-human. But holiness pulls us toward God and enhances human flourishing. Holiness helps us become who we really are, which means that you have to keep both of these halves in the proper order. Paul doesn't flip it and say, do all this stuff, and now you are right with God. There's your identity based on your productivity. No. Our identity fuels our holiness. And we should be used to this. I mean, after all, if uh, I'm looking at the piano over there, if I say, hey, I'd like to take some piano lessons, and I wander over and say, uh, well, uh, how do we play this thing? And I just plop my fingers on the keys. You could hear the dissonance, right? Instead, I have to read the rule book and see that the key of C, and now you're going to have to fill in the blanks here, musicians. You, you have to hit this key, this key, and that key. I think there's three notes for the key of C. Am I right? Am I right? Okay, at least three. I mean, okay, no, forget it. So what are we talking about? What are we joking about? The rules, the laws for proper music. And once I hit those three notes, the key of C sounds harmonious. That's the way music was supposed to be. The law of the key of C helps me find the key of C. If you ever get a new computer program, 
You want to know how to do something now in the latest version? <laughs> What's the keystroke I need? You have to Google it. Because unless you get it right, unless you find the law that tells you what to do, it doesn't work. Right? So maybe you get a new medication. And you say, well, a pill a day keeps the doctor away. I'll just pop one a day. You wouldn't do that because the doctor and the pharmacist, they know better. If the pill says once every other day, you follow the instructions. So why do we think that somehow when the Bible gives us instructions, laws, commands, oh, that's not God's grace? And Titus actually says the grace of God has appeared and it teaches us to deny, to say no to ungodliness. They're not antithetical. They work together. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. John <clears throat> wrote, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Baptismal candidates, that's what you're going to do today. You're saying, I'm done with this life, I'm renewing my mind, and I'm walking in a new outfit that is marked by holiness and obedience because that's the way God wants me to flourish. One example I conclude with comes from verses one and two of chapter five. He actually lists before this five put-offs, put-ons. Don't tell lies, tell the truth. Don't have sinful anger, have righteous anger. Don't steal, but work to give to others. Don't speak rotten words, speak healing words. Don't be bitter, show kindness. And then at the end, he says this. And I want, as I read this, I want you to notice how he's grabbing both I am, our identity, and I must, our responsibility. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, dearly loved, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you see that? Our walking in love flows from God's love for us and Christ's example on the cross. Anna, Josh, and Becca in the first service, and I hope you tune in to the YouTube edition <laughs> later today or later uh, and watch their three testimonies. They were so great to hear. And Easton and Mia and Brennan we're about to hear your story. Remember your baptism. Father, thank you for our time this morning. What a great service. What a great savior. What a great salvation that you're working. Thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.